If you didn't bring a Bible with you this evening, hold your hand up real high. The ushers have extra Bibles, and uh, we'd be glad to let you use one of these. And let's all turn to John, Gospel account of John, the 10th chapter. And then we'll go over to 2 Corinthians, the 9th chapter. A few weeks ago, we began on this subject talking about abounding ability. And I want us to continue. Abounding ability. John 10 and verse 10. John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come. Here Jesus is telling us why he came. A lot of people have come up with a lot of reasons why they think he came. But why don't we just let him tell us why he came. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Amplified says it like this in that latter part. I came that they might may have and enjoy life. And have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now the definition of this word and these words bear out the amplified rendering. It's more than just the word abundance in modern vernacular doesn't quite tell it. Uh, Let me read the definitions of the word that appears here in numerous other places in the uh, New Testament. Actually, there's about seven different words in the Greek that have similar meaning that are found throughout the New Testament. And they're different forms of the word perisos. And it means basically superabundance. Not just abundance, but what? Superabundance. Which is why the Amplified says in abundance to the full, but didn't stop there. Till it what? Overflowed. Now, this is not a new thought in the Word of God. How many remember the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. What? I come short a lot of the time. Huh? Huh? (laughs) A lot of times I don't quite make it, but we do the best we can. (laughs) A lot of times we come up short, but you know, you just never know. If God's working something out. See, these are all the goofy ideas of men that people have come up with and preachers have preached. But it's absolutely contrary to the word of God. How many believe this verse? Hmm? The Lord is my shepherd. I what? I shall not want. I shall not want. What's his will? No lack. No lack. Keep reading. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Do you know why if you're a sheep or if you're a cow, you know why you're laying down in the green pasture? Because your belly is full. If it wasn't full, you'd be up. You'd be grazing. You'd be moving around. But the fact that you're laying down is because your belly's so full. You just have to lay there and go, ah. As the green grass waves over your head. He makes me to lie down. 
in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Keep going. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keep going. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Hmm, I will what? I won't be afraid of anything. No evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Keep going. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now this can't be when you get to heaven. I said this can't be when you get to heaven. Because your enemy's not going to be there. How many absolutely convinced the devil and his bunch and demons are not going to be in glory in heaven? They ain't living beside me. How about you? They're not going to be there. They're certainly not going to be around the table where we're fellowshipping with the Father and the Lord and each other. No. No. So this has to be down here. Doesn't it? Well, it surely just got through saying walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not heaven either, is it? That's all down here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Didn't say they'd all go away. He'd just provide for you in front of them. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is about half full. Sometimes up to three quarters full. My cup. My cup is right to the brim. Filled to the brim. No. No. Wouldn't the Lord know when the cup was full? Wouldn't he know when you had put absolutely the last drop that you could without spilling any? Then why, pray tell, does he keep pouring it in? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. That's what he is. He pours and keeps a pouring until it runs right over the side and it gets on the table and you go, Lord, Lord, it's a running over. He goes, I know, ain't it great? And he goes, Lord, it's a running on the floor. He says, I know it's wonderful, isn't it? That's how he thinks. That's how you and I need to get our minds renewed to think. Religion has taught that somehow scarcity and lack and being tight somehow shows holiness or piety, whatever that is. No godliness like God is what we should seek to be like. And he is the God of abundance. He's the God of more than enough. Do you believe it, saints? Said out loud, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. My cup runs over. Oh, saint, get that in your spirit. Get that in your mind. I want it rolling around in there all night tonight. I want you to wake up and roll over and go, my cup runs over. My cup, I want you to get up in the morning and say, my cup 
runneth over. Runneth over as you're driving around town, as you're eating lunch. I want you to say, my cup runneth over. My cup. Build this into your consciousness. Do you think we need mind renewal? Oh, we do. So many of us grew up in lack. Grew up in lack. And worse, we're taught at church that lack was somehow the will of God. Oftentimes the plan of God. It's just not true. Can't be when verses like this say something else. Got to make up your mind what you're going to believe. What men think or what the Word says. I'm going with the Word. How about you? Go to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 2 Corinthians 9. Let's see, verse 5. We can go to verse 5. He says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Everybody say, generous gift. He said, then it'll be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Two very different ways of giving. Generously versus grudgingly. Keep reading. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And this goes with the previous verse of grudgingly. Grudgingly and sparingly go together. And it reveals just a tight mentality. Tight thinking, tight talking, tight feeling, tight giving. The Bible refers to narrowness. Narrowness. Before you can prosper on the outside, you got to prosper on the inside. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper. And be in health, even as your soul prospers. So he's talking about prosperity inside, in the soul, being tied to prosperity out here. Plenty, abundance, doesn't start in your pocketbook or in your checking account or savings account. It starts in your soul. It starts in your thinking and in your believing. In how you see things, how you hear things. You don't have to have another dollar to become a generous soul. That's something that changes inside you. He that sows generously will also reap generously. And with that idea, the Amplified actually brings this out, I think, is uh, as opposed to grudgingly, it's willingly, gladly, generously. Keep reading. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. See, not not grudgingly. For God loves cheerful giver. Keep reading. And God's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound to every good work. Is this the will of God? Don't let men who don't know the word and don't know God tell you something else is the will of God for you. Let the Bible tell you what the will of God is for you. This is New Testament. Isn't it? Holy Spirit inspired. This is the unchanging will of God 
for everybody, everywhere, all the time. What's the will of God? In all things, at all times, having all you need and able to abound. These are the same words that you see over in John 10. Abound to every good work. This is abundance. Let me give you the definitions of these words again. This word that's translated abundance in John 10.10, also here in other places, it literally means, like we said, superabundance. One word is surplusage. Surplusage. It means to be in excess. It's translated over and above. It's translated uh, enough and to spare. It's translated all you need and more. Which is surplus. Extra. Everything you need. And then some. Right? Abundance plus. (laughs) Surplus. Say it out loud. Abundance plus. That's the will of God. Is it the will of God? I know a lot of people don't believe it. I know people, you know, mock and make fun of preachers like me. I know it. I know that folks should, and I know on the other side of it, there are people who abuse these verses and twist them and try to make them say things and 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 try to manipulate people and, and try to wring all the money out of people that they can. And uh, that's not what's going on here. We've already received the offering, and we told you at the offering we weren't asking you for anything. Didn't we? That's not what this is about. This is about what you believe. And what the Bible says. What the will of God is. And you got folks who say, well, yeah, but you know, if it was the will of God, then why are so many people in such scarcity? And why are so many people, even God's people, behind and in lack? It's obvious, they say. It's not God's will. For this to be. For people to have abundance and plenty. Well. You have to decide what you're going to ascertain the will of God by. How do you find out the will of God? By what you've experienced? By what other people have experienced? There's a lot of people who don't believe in God. So you use that same reasoning. That means it's not God's will for everybody to believe in him. He's not willing that any, A-N-Y, any should perish. Are people perishing? Yes. Yes. There are a whole lot of things happening on this planet that are not the will of God, that are actually contrary to His will for us. And a lot of religious people, whether ignorantly or otherwise, they have a bad habit of watering down the Bible to match their lack of experience. If they're not experiencing it in their life, then they try to come up with reasons why it's somehow not the will of God. And how some way that verse doesn't mean that, and that's passed away, and this passed away, and it's not for everybody, and you just never know. But it's excuses. We need to humble ourselves. And if we don't see in our life what we're seeing in this book, he doesn't need to change. It leaves one other party. 
The word is right. The word is true. God is right. His will is right. So if we don't see it, if we're not experiencing it, there's only one other party that can change in this. And it should make perfect sense that it's us that needs to change, not him. He never changed. He doesn't need to. He's not going to. But can you believe that if we would change some things, some things could change in our life. He could bring us up. Sit out loud. Lord, bring me up. To your word. Hallelujah. Bring me up to your word. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. What's the will of God? Look at it again. Verse 8. What did he say? Always. Having all sufficiency. In all things. Abounding. To every good work. That's always having your needs met. In every area of life and having plenty to give, give to others, to help others. Our ministry is in our surplus, isn't it? If all we ever have is the bare minimum for our meals and a bare minimum place to stay and a bare minimum uh, subsistence, then how do we do for anybody else? How do we help anybody else? Our ministry is our overflow. Isn't it? Is it God's will for us to only subsist and take care of ourselves and our own? Or is it his will for us to do for other people and help other people? I've had people, you know, uh, rip into me and write ugly letters to me about, well, you know, you're supposed to do things for the poor. You're supposed to do things for the poor. Uh, With what? With what? Oh, you're not supposed to have all this extra. Well, you're supposed to do things for the poor. How? With what? It doesn't make sense. Does it? I'm supposed to be poor, but I'm supposed to help the poor. Does that mean help myself? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I'm not supposed to be any better off than the poor. But I'm supposed to help the poor. It's deception. It's confusion. It's not the word of God. Now people have said some things on the other side that didn't make sense either. But don't listen to things that don't bear witness with your spirit. Don't take my word or any other preacher's word for it. Put your nose in this book. See it for yourself. Get settled in this. I believe you'll find you've got a good God. I said you've got a good God. He's a good God. And he's the God who will run your cup over, over. And with that overflow, you can help other people. Sit out loud, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. Glory to God. Glory to God. We keep on, we'll preach ourselves happy here, won't we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, we were there in Psalms. Go back to Psalms and go over to the 66th Psalm. Psalm 66 is the same word that's in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. That same word appears here. 
They actually were singing about it a few minutes ago. Psalm 66, 12. He said, you caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out into a wealthy place. They experienced some trauma and trying times. But in the end, they came out into a wealthy place. Place. That's the same word that you find in Psalm 23 that my cup runs over. You brought us out to a running over place. Place of abundance, the NIV says. Some others bring out that same idea, a, a place of running over. We saw in previous teaching on this, Canaan's land being a type of the blessings and benefits that we now have in Christ. And we saw three levels of living that they experienced. We saw that 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the things that happened to them are examples or types for us. Well, what their experience is, what's it a type of for us? What are we supposed to learn from it? In Egypt, they experienced lack. In Egypt, they were somebody else's property, weren't they? They had no control, no ability. Poverty is bondage. Did you know that? I mean, if you get enough poverty in your life, you can starve to death for want of a decent meal. Well, not having enough to pay a bill is maybe not enough to kill you from starvation, but it's a measure of the same stinking stuff. It's just not as much of it. So is it the will of God or not? This lack. This deficiency. They experienced total lack. They didn't own their own home. They didn't own their own clothes, rags on their back. They didn't own their own body, their own self. They were in total servitude. No control. And God brought them out of that. Didn't he? He brought them out with signs and wonders and a mighty hand. He brought them out with silver and gold, the Bible said. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. He brought them out with healing and he brought them out with money. Is this a type for us today? What's it a type of? But now the next level of living they experienced was wilderness living. They're free, but... The Bible said that the manna came and the Lord told them not to try to save it. And so basically they're living day to day, day by day. They're living, learning how to live by faith. They should have been learning lessons of obedience and they should have just not very long, just a matter of days or weeks gone through there and got to Canaan's land, the promised land, but they didn't learn the lessons. And they refused to obey. They were hard-headed, stubborn, rebellious, unbelieving. And it wound up that they kept circling around out there in that dry, desolate place for 40 years until all that generation died out with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. But all that time, what level of living were their own? They came up from not having anything and being a slave They came from not enough living to just enough living. Was that God's perfect will and plan for them to stay out there in the wilderness 
just enough. No, no. But you know, you live in just enough living long enough, you can kid yourself that you're in the perfect will of God. Can't you? Besides that, they're having miracles, aren't they? I mean, they're having supernatural provision. Bread is falling out of the sky. Water is coming out. They're having miracles so they can be provided for. But is this God's best and highest for them? It's not. You can be experiencing the Lord's provision. But how would you know it's not God's highest and best? If you're perpetually having just enough. Nothing over. No excess. No surplus. Reckon how many Christians are there. And reckon how many Christians think it's Canaan's land. (laughs) And they're still wilderness living. We already preached on this. So if you weren't with us, go back and get the previous things. It won't cost you anything. But uh, is there a higher level of living? Is there? It's Canaan's land. Somebody say Canaan's land. Canaan's land was the land that flowed, flowed. Somebody say flowed. Flowed. Does that sound familiar? Flowed. Flowed with milk and honey. He said it's a land in Deuteronomy 8. He said it's a land where you'll have no scarcity. You won't want for anything in it. Is that the will of God? Yes. No scarcity. Amen. Well, if you don't have scarcity, what do you got? Abundant. Surplus. Amen. You got enough plus. Amen. Come from not enough to just enough to more than, more than enough. Now, do you know why I keep going over this? Because uh, it's no need to go over to the other things until you become persuaded that God's will is more than enough. If you don't have this settled, there's no need talking about anything else. Let me help you with this. Don't argue with unbelievers about what's a sin. It's foolish. Until they're ready to believe that God is real and Jesus is Lord, you're wasting your time. Getting their doctrine right on what sin is not their biggest problem. And even if they're in what you would call sin, that's still not their biggest problem. Whatever habits or addictions or foul lifestyle they may have, that's not their big problem. So don't get embroiled with it and certainly don't get tense and upset and angry. That's not right. That's not their problem. They need to be saved. They need to believe on Jesus. So don't wrestle with all that. Just smile and tell them God loves you. Anyhow. Whenever you're ready. I'll help you out. What about this? Is this right or this wrong? Is it? What do you care? You don't even believe in him. You don't even believe he exists. So <laughs> what do you care about any of that? See, don't get pulled in to strife. It's never going to produce good results. This goes for your family. Right? Your sisters, your brothers, your cousins, 
aunties and uncles and don't argue with them about is this a sin or is that a sin. That's not the problem. A relationship with God is the issue. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? That's the big issue. Everything else is just not going to get you anywhere. Let's go on. If you do believe that God's will is surplus and you haven't been experiencing surplus, what do we do? What now? How do we allow the Lord to bring us from where we are to where his best and highest will is? We saw in Romans 12, That our mind needs to be renewed so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, having just enough is leagues better than not having enough, isn't it? And we are thankful, aren't we? We are so thankful. But is there something higher and better than having just enough? There is. There is a life. Of having more than enough. I know a lot of people don't believe it. A lot of people scoff at it. And say well it's not up to us. It's up to God. And they'll never be bothered with it. But there'll be some. I believe I'm looking at some of them. There's some that are going to believe this. And they're going to lay hold of it. And they're going to come up. And begin living in surplus. Yes. Not just experiencing it once every five or ten years, but living in it. Living in it. Glory to God. Somebody say living in it. Say it out loud. My cup runneth over. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Chronicles 31. 2 Chronicles 31. How do we get from where we are right now to his highest and best for us? Two basic things. Won't take long to say it, but take the rest of your life to do it. (laughs) How do we get from where we are to God's ultimate plan for us, his highest and best? Trust and obey. Trust him, believe in him, and what else? Obey. Obey. And when you say, well, why aren't people experiencing his highest and best? Not trusting him and not obeying him. You, me, any of us, all of us, same thing is true. Number one, in attaining God's best in this area is to put him first. Put him first in our finances. This is the first thing the Lord told Phyllis and myself after being saved for years, even after being in the ministry for a couple of years. We were experiencing deficits, deficits. We believed in the Lord. We had given some. We kind of tithed, not consistently, but when we thought we could. And we just kept getting in more difficulty and trouble. We love the Lord. I could preach to you on giving and these different things and and God's will is prosperity. 
But we just got further and further in the hole. And I began to seek the Lord earnestly. I, I came in one day after work and nobody was there. And I fell across the bed and wept. I said, Lord, this is not your will. How many know financial problems can be pressure? Yeah. Pressure. And especially, you know, I don't want to be a bad witness. Amen. Believers are supposed to pay their bills. Yeah. Fulfill their obligations. And, and we're behind. And getting more behind. You know, if you were just barely making it. Then if you get behind, not only do you have to keep making it, but you got to catch up. And if you were just half a nostril above water to start with, it don't take much to put you under. That's where a lot of people are. That's where we were. And so I sought the Lord. I cried out to him. I said, Lord, I know enough about the word to know this is not your fault. This is not your will. This is not your plan. You didn't miss it. We missed it somewhere. What do we need to see? What do we need to change? Whatever we need, I'm asking you, please help us. Help us to see. And I didn't see it all that day when I prayed, but looking back now, I can see he heard and answered that prayer. And for the next, seemed like the next five years, every day he was ministering to me about this, showing me things, helping me with things. And the first thing he did, first thing, was take me to Matthew 6.33. Where it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And he spoke to my heart. I don't mean to heard a voice, but inside me, he said, son, like many people, many of my people know this, but are not doing it like you. He said, you know this, but you're not doing it. And just like that, it began to unfold to me. How we had and other Christians, when they get paid, when they make money, they make a sale or something comes in, some kind of profit. The first thing they do is celebrate, buy himself something nice, <laughs> pay bills, do something for the kid, make sure the, the rent or the pay, house payment or the insurance or all these things. And then sometimes days later, when they go to church and it's offering time, they try to think if I've got anything I can give. You've already violated the first principle of prosperity. You put everything ahead of him. And that's what we had been doing. And the reason why we were where we didn't have anything to give is because we had made decisions without taking into account putting him first. And we've already talked about this, but tithing is a part of this. I won't go into a lot of detail on tithing that we have teaching on tithing. And I know a lot of Christians don't tithe. A lot of Christians don't tithe. And like I said, we didn't at one point. But I have come to see what Jesus said is right. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God's. Well, does God have anything that's his? Yeah. Yeah, there's a portion that belongs to him. And I want you to see what happens when everybody starts tithing. There's been times when God's people did, and there's been time, a lot of times when they didn't. But I want you to see a time when they did. Are you there in the scripture? In Chronicles? In 2 Chronicles, the uh, 31st chapter, and verse 4. It says, Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests 
and the Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. Did you know when you got extra and plenty, it encourages you? (laughs) It's getting quiet in here. Verse 15. As soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance. The first fruits of the corn, the wine, the oil, the honey, all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. You got to remember, there were no dollars back here. There was none of that. Keep going. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of the oxen and the sheep and the tithe of the holy things that were consecrated to the Lord their God. And they laid them by heaps. Heaps. They piled up until there were heaps. Everybody say heaps. Why? Everybody started tithing. What happens when everybody starts tithing? You got heaps. What does heaps sound like to you? Just enough? Not quite enough? This is definitely more than enough. Surplus. Keep reading. In the third month, they laid the foundation of the heaps. (laughs) These are serious heaps. And they finished them four months later. In the seventh month. Glory to God. Keep going. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Now what's all this in response to? The king, who's a righteous, godly king, after a bunch of evil kings before him, he's leading the people back to God, and he said, the word tells us we're supposed to tithe. Now I want everybody to start tithing like the word says. And the commandment went out. He's a king. And everybody came and brought their tithes. And oh brother. When everybody started tithing. Heaps. Somebody say heaps. And they came and saw all the heaps. And they said glory to God. They blessed the Lord. And they blessed his people. Israel. Keep going. Then Hezekiah questioned with the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. How did these great heaps come to be? And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and and, and have left plenty For the Lord has blessed his people and that which is left, what is that? That's over and above. That which is over. He said all the Levites and all the priests. Now the priests were the preachers of the day. The ones that handled the word and spoke. The Levites were the helps ministry. They set up everything and tore down everything. And he said all of the helps ministry and all of the preachers have everything they need. And then we got left over. This great store. These great big heaps. Somebody said heaps. 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 <laughs> this is what happens. When God's people. Actually begin to give. And tithe. Obviously it's not happening. 
in most churches and most places. And people are scared to. I know, because Phyllis and I were. We were scared to tithe. We thought we can't afford to. We don't have it. But the truth is, it's not about affording anything. It's about what do you believe? It's a matter of faith. It's an act of faith. It's a step of faith. And it's not about doing something for the church. It's about what you do unto the Lord. I teach a little different than a lot of people do. I don't teach that 100% of your tithe has to, is supposed to go to your local church. I know a lot of people do. I don't. The Bible said the tithe is the Lord's. And what we've done, uh, Phyllis and I personally, what the church, uh, this church does, the church in Branson, More Life Ministries does, we have a separate account called our God account. And when we get, when money comes in, we take over the first 10% right off the top. Before we pay a bill, before we look at anything, that comes off the top, it goes in the God account. That's not our money. That's his money. That goes to his works, his things, his churches, his ministries. Are y'all with me, sir? Yeah. And if you do that all the time, you'll have money to give. Right. You won't be saying, well, I don't have anything. If year after year, decade after decade, you don't have anything, it's because you're not putting him first. There's reasons why. And if you do this, glory to God, you'll have heaps. It'll pile up. It'll heap up. Come on, can you say glory to God? It'll heap up. Heaps. Somebody say heaps. Heaps. How do we get from where we are, whether it's not enough or just enough, to the more than enough perfect will of God for us? How do we get from here to there? That's what we're talking about. Number one, do what? Put him first trust him enough to obey him and put him first now there's a lot more to be said about this but that involves tithing and putting him first now secondly let's talk some more about the obeying part go with me to Genesis the 26th chapter how do you get from where you are to where the Lord wants you to be you trust him and you obey him You believe what he said? You believe in him? You believe he's real? You believe he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him? And you believe in him enough that if he tells you to tithe, you tithe. If he tells you to sow, you sow. If he tells you to go, you go. Stay, you stay. Obey, you obey. Here's an example of this. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine, it was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. What's going on in the land? Famine. They are having serious economic problems. Serious. If the land you live in has serious economic problems, do you have to have serious economic problems as well? Or is it possible for God to sustain you and even prosper you? In the midst of some bad situations. Yes. And with everything going on in the world today. We need to know this. Don't we? Keep going. The Lord appeared to him. To Isaac. And said. 
go not down into Egypt. What's the first thing he told him? Where not to go. What not to do. Why? The natural thing would have been to go to Egypt. Famine is on. That means drought. No crops. Outside the cities, it's a dust bowl. And the poor people have nothing. There's food in the city. There's rich people in the city. Everything says, you want to make it through this? Go to the city. Egypt's also a type of the world and the world system. What did the Lord tell him? Don't go where everybody else is going. Don't do what everybody else is doing. You dwell where? Where I tell you to. You stay and live in the land which I shall tell you of. Now what are we talking about saints? How to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. From just enough or not enough to more than enough. Keep reading. He said, sojourn in this land. Stay right here. And I will be with you and will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I'll give all these countries. I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4. I'll make your seed to multiply. Everybody say multiplied seed. I'll make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I'll give your seed all these countries. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Boy, how big does that sound when all you can see around you is dust? (laughs) Takes faith, doesn't it? You're going to have to trust him. And you're going to have to obey him. Verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. He trusted me and he did what I told him to do. Verse 6. So what did Isaac do? What did he do? He did what the Lord told him to do. And he stayed in the dust bowl. He stayed in the drought ridden, famine ridden, broke place. Not only did he stay there, he sowed there. Now you're talking about looking like a waste of seed. (laughs) This place is dead. It's dried up. Ain't nobody had a crop here in the last three years or more. Whatever it was. And you're going to sow your seed in this dry cracked ground. How do you get from where you are to where the Lord wants you to be? You got to trust him. And you got to obey him. That means go where he says go. Stay where he says stay. Sow where he says sow. Verse 12. So Isaac did what? He didn't go to Egypt. He trusted God and stayed right where he told him to stay and sowed where? In that land where he told him to sow and received in that same year a hundredfold. When everybody else was dried up and getting nothing, he got a hundredfold. He got a hundredfold in the middle of a famine. Somebody say a hundredfold. In the middle of famine. Is his cup running over? And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great 
and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and a great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. He had so much. Can you say glory to God? How are we going to get from where we are to where we need to be? Trust and obey. That means put him first. Do what he said do. Stay where he says stay. Don't just let the world lead you. Don't let numbers lead you. Don't let business associates lead you. Don't let family that don't believe in God lead you. Go where he says go. Stay where he says stay. Sow where he says sow. Invest where he says invest. He reaped in that same year a hundredfold. In the New Testament, you see this same kind of idea. You remember in Luke 5 when Jesus had used Simon's boat. Luke 5 and verse 4. He said, Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draft. So what did Simon do? He said, Master, we've toiled all the night. This is Luke 5, 5. We've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. What would be his natural tendency? This preacher don't know what he's talking about. I'm a fisherman. I fish these waters all the time. I know. And the fish ain't here right now. Besides that, it's daytime. They're going to see the net when I throw it in. Besides that, we're all tired. We just put the nets up. I need to go home and go to sleep. Get ready for work tonight. This preacher wants me to go out here and get my nets all wet. And How come we're going to read about this story and read about this miracle? Because he trusted the Lord enough to do what he told him to do. Didn't he? Nevertheless, because you say so. It don't make sense. Nobody else is doing it. But because you say so, at your word, I will let down the net. Verse 6, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. Verse 7, he beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Is this just enough? This is not just enough. This is way more than enough. This is surplus fish. Too many fish for the net. Too many fish for the boats. It's a net breaking. Ship sinking. Catch. Wouldn't the Lord know how many fish to give them without breaking the nets and sinking the boats? But he just keeps giving them fish. Giving them fish. They're going, God, we're sinking the boats. He said, hey, my problem, your boat's too small. Here, have some more fish. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. God. How do we get from the, the living of not enough or even living of just enough to living in more than enough surplus? The Lord's been ministering to Phyllis and me about this. We've been praying about this. You know, when, when the Lord gives us something like this that we're teaching, it's not just so you can take notes and go, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, God's a good God. No, he, he's ministering to us 
so we can come up to another place. Things are supposed to change. Your thinking, my thinking, the way we talk, the way we live and operate is supposed to change so that the Lord is able to bring us up to a place where all of our needs are met, plus we have abounding ability to do for the kingdom, for people that are hurting, hungry, needy, right? Our fellow brother and sister, way out beyond just enough for our needs and desires. Do you believe it, saints? Do you believe this is the will of God for every one of us? And so in praying about this, you know, the needs of the ministry have been met. And as you see, the projects, the money has come in. I mean, we got enough to what has already happened. To just thank God profusely. Night and day. Night and day. And we do and we will. But to be frank with you. There have been times. More than once. That we had what we needed. General operating. You know the churches and ministry. But that's all we had. We were able to pay our bills. But it's tight. Got everything you need. And we're thankful for that. But we're praying about, Lord, we know this is not your perfect will and perfect plan. Surplus is your will. How do we get from here to there? Anybody with me? How do we get from here to there? Trusting him? Obeying him? We've sown seed in other places before, and I can look back and see how that that was a, um, a catalyst and a key God used. In fact, go with me back to Luke 6, 38. Where Phyllis was sharing what the master said about this. Luke 6.38. How's it going to come to you? Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And what? And what? And what? Running over. Men, people are going to give into your bosom. How did that paragraph start? With the word. Give. The understood subject is you. You give. And then it's going to be given to you. Not just what you gave. But good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over. How many have given in the general offerings. Here in the churches or ministries. Raise your hand. I want you to. I want to make sure I know who I'm talking to now. You have given. In the general offerings. In this church. In the ministry. You sowed a seed today. A beggar. You did. You and me. Us. We just got through communicating. To the board members. Earlier today. And the seed has already been sent. Thank you Lord. And here's the. Phyllis and I. Got this in our heart, and of course you don't do anything, you know, hastily or haphazardly like this, but checking it, checking it, checking it, checking it, and over lunch, I looked at her, and it just came up in my heart, I said, this is a surplus seed, a surplus seed, why am I telling you, you have surplus seed in the ground. Tonight. Hallelujah. The church here in Sarasota. Had a part of it. The church in Branson. 
had a part of it. More Life Ministries had a part of it. So all of our partners, More Life Ministries, watching by the internet or watch later, if you've given to the ministry in recent times, you got seed in this. We sowed, you sowed, in the Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Hallelujah, the expansion of, you know, their TV and all the stuff that they're doing. And we prayed with them today, and he prophesied, and and the Lord said some things about this surplus seed. It stirred him up tremendously, and it stirred me up when I heard it. Somebody say surplus seed. It's a surplus seed. It's a surplus seed. Whatever you sowed is not just what you have a right to believe for. Whether you were sowing in twenties or hundreds or a thousand, whatever you sowed, that's not your seed. All of our seed was put together. And that's what the Lord is will multiply. And so your harvest is a surplus of the percentage of the seed. Glory to God. The people in Branson, the people watching online, the partners with More Life Ministries. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know we didn't do this lightly. We got seed in the ground to produce a surplus harvest. And it's important that you, everybody that's given that has a part of this seed, if you gave in the general, like we said, you got a part in it. It's important that you release your faith and claim the harvest. Do you believe God is able to bring you up to another place of living? Where you don't just scrape by and rake by all the time. Where that, you get everything you got paid off, paid off, paid off, and paid for. And then you have extra. All your bills are paid. All your needs are met. And you have above and beyond. That. And you don't just experience it a time or two out of five or ten years. You start living that way. You start living that way. Come on, think about it. Has God been meeting our needs? Has He been sustaining us? Why couldn't He meet our needs with some extra on a consistent basis? Just like He's been meeting our needs. Is there a restriction in His ability? Or is it because that's all we've been believing for? That's all we've been believing for, is only just. Only just. Only just or overflow. Stand on your feet, everybody. I want us to release our faith. Say it out loud, I got a seed in the ground. I got a surplus seed in good ground right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They released their faith with us. And you know they know how to believe. Phyllis, would you come? Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just play something softly. Oh, hallelujah. Close your eyes, saints. Let me lead you in a prayer. Sit out loud, Father God, I do believe. You are an exceedingly good God. Your will is more than enough. Not just enough. Certainly not less than enough. I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. Your will is more than enough. Hallelujah. Just thank him for it for a moment. Lord, I thank you that it is true. I thank you that it is true. It is true that your will for me is more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. Oh, friends, be strong in your spirit. Don't let the devil talk you out of this. Don't let unbelievers confuse you and talk you out of this. Say it out loud. I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. God's will for me is surplus. Abundance. Enough and more. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Say it out loud. Lord, show me how to put you first. Show me how and where to sow and how and where to reap and I purpose to trust you and to follow you and to obey you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, everybody that has sown in the past, I want you to say this and release your faith. I do have Seed in the ground. It's a surplus seed. It's a good seed. It's in good ground. And I believe I receive a surplus harvest. A harvest of plenty. More than enough. I believe I receive it. I expect it. I'll look for it and I'll have it in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.